You're listening to the preaching ministry of Redemption Bible Church in New Braunfels, Texas, where we are proclaiming the authority of God's Word without apology. We pray that this message will be a blessing to you as you seek to worship Christ, walk with Christ, and work for Christ, all to the glory of God. For more information about our church, please visit redemption.bible. Thanks for listening, and we hope to see you soon at one of our upcoming worship services. As Blair said, turn your passage of Scripture and your, and your Bible to John 11. If you don't have a Bible, raise your hand. Um, we're going to be in it and referencing it and back and forth, and it's a big chunk that I get to read, which is pretty fun. And this is a pretty iconic story, the story of Lazarus. If, if, if you've been around church at all, if you grew up at church, this, this is, a, ser- this is a, a passage of Scripture that preaches, is what people say in this line of business. This can preach, okay? You, you know, we teach it to our kids. We tell them this story. I'm sure most of our kids over there, if, if kids been going to church for a while, they've probably heard the story of Lazarus. So it's super fun that we get to read through this story. It's a, it's a great story. I'm, I'm so excited for it. Um, this is John's seventh miracle in the book of John. And, and now don't, don't take that and kind of go, oh my gosh, um, Jesus only did seven miracles. No, John, John purposefully has listed seven miracles for Jesus, and this is his seventh and final miracle that we're going to experience, and it's uh, no irony, not a, not a mistake by John that he's only listed seven, and on the seventh one, um, it, we have the story of Lazarus. But we're going to jump in here, and as I was studying, reading it, you know, obviously the first step in, in preparing for, for sharing is uh, reading the passage, shock value. So I'm sitting there and I'm reading, I'm spending time uh, going through it and, and enjoying it. It's a passage I'm very familiar with. Uh, but something that reminded, it reminded me of as I was working my way through it, um, reminded me of a TV show my family used to watch as a kid. And I grew up, I know I don't look that old, but I was old enough to where we had a TV that didn't have a clicker. Um, that's what my dad calls it, clicker. Um, we didn't have a clicker, um, so I was the youngest child of three boys, so I was the clicker. So I'd have to go up and turn it, and then so it had a knob for the volume, and that was the on-off switch, right? And then you had a knob. This is for all you people who don't remember this. Um, then you had a knob for your channels, right? So you only had like 20 channels or so. And then we had the bunny ears, which was like God provided graciously from the sky TV for you to watch. And um, so we, we, I, I distinctly remember as a child watching this show as a family, and it was a murder mystery show. And I know some of now, not like now as a parent, I'm like, I would never let my kid watch a murder mystery show. Well, yeah, because they're all gory and nasty now. Back then, it was wholesome. They were wholesome murder mysteries, okay? So... I remember watching this show, and, and so this may be come to a certain part of the audience, but anybody remember the show Columbo? Anybody show of hands, couple people? Yeah, thank you. Yes. Yes, it's so great. So Christopher Columbo, I think it was Christopher. Anyway, Lieutenant Columbo. Lieutenant Columbo, played by Peter Falk, was a, uh, was a detective, I believe in L.A., and um, he wore the big brown trench coat, you know, and, um, and he was solving uh, murder mystery crimes uh, for uh, the LAPD. And so you walked along this story, and I just loved it. My wife, uh, actually, a couple years ago, we looked and see, to see if we could find it streaming. And actually, somebody right after first service came up and goes, we watched all the episodes, too. We, I, I watched it recently to see if it was still good. It is still good. So watch it if you can. Uh, but anyways, it, it, it was what, what stuck out to me as I was reading this passage, why it reminded me. You're like, why? You're just up here to talk about Columbo. No. What it reminded me of was the, the quirky thing about the show, or one of the quirkiest things about the show was the, the show began showing you the crime and who did it. So you, you watched, like the first five minutes kind of showed you like, oh, that's the murderer. That's how he did it. That's how he's going to get away with it. And then you somehow, the story like had you so gripped that you watched the rest of the show, even though you knew everything, right? It wasn't like a whodunit. You knew who did it. 
What you didn't know was how Columbo was going to solve the crime. Okay? So you knew what was going to happen, which was, the what was, obviously, this is good wholesome TV, you know, where you knew the good guy always won. So you knew Columbo was going to solve the crime. But you didn't know how he was going to solve the crime. And as I was reading our passage today, it so reminded me of Columbo. We know what Jesus is going to tell us very early in the story, what he is going to do. What we don't know is how he is going to do it. And so we're going to, or what, what they don't know, I should say, that the people in the story don't know how he's going to do it. We know it because we're so used to the story. But let's dive in. Let's look at it. Let's read it together. It is a chunk, but it's such good reading. So let's try to, like, we're in John chapter 11, verse 1. Now a certain man was ill, Lazarus of Bethany, the village of Mary and her sister Martha. It was Mary who anointed the Lord with, with ointment and wiped his feet with her hair, whose brother Lazarus was ill. So the sisters sent to him, saying, Lord, he whom you love is ill. But when Jesus heard it, he said, This illness does not lead to death. It is for the glory of God, so that the Son of God may be glorified through it. Now Jesus loved Martha and her sister and Lazarus. So when he heard that Lazarus was ill, he stayed two days longer in the place where he was at. Then after this, he said to the disciples, Let us go to Judea again. The disciples said to him, Rabbi, the Jews were just now seeking to stone you, and you're going there again? Jesus answered, Are there not twelve hours in the day? If anyone walks in the day, he does not stumble, because he sees the light of this world. But if anyone walks in the night, he stumbles, because the light is not in him. After saying these things, he said to them, Our friend Lazarus has fallen asleep, but I go to awaken him. The disciples said to him, Lord, if he has fallen asleep, he will recover. Now Jesus had spoken of his death, but they thought that he meant taking rest and sleep. Then Jesus told them plainly, Lazarus has died, and for your sake I am glad that I was not there, so that you may believe, but let us go to him. So Thomas called the twin, said to his fellow disciples, let us also go that we may die with him. Now when Jesus came, he found that Lazarus had been, already been in the tomb four days. Bethany was near Jerusalem, about two miles off, and many of the Jews had come to Martha and Mary to console them concerning their brother. So when Martha heard that Jesus was, was coming, she went and met him. But Mary remained seated in the house. Martha said to Jesus, Lord, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. But even now I know that whatever you ask from God, God will give you. Jesus said to her, your brother will rise again. Martha said, I know that he will rise again in the resurrection of the last day. Jesus said to her, I am the resurrection and the life. Whoever believes in me, though he die, yet he shall live. And everyone who lives and believes in me shall never die. Do you believe this? She said, yes, Lord. I believe that you are the Christ, the Son of God, who is coming into the world. When she had said this, she went and called her sister Mary, saying in private, The teacher has, is here and is calling for you. And when she heard it, she rose quickly and went to him. Now Jesus had not yet come into the village, but was still in the place where Martha had met him. When the Jews who were with her in the house, consoling her, saw Mary rise quickly and go out, they followed her, supposing that she was going to the tomb to weep there. Now when Mary came to where Jesus was and saw him, she fell at his feet, saying, Lord! If you had been here, my brother would not have died. When Jesus saw her weeping, and the Jews who had come with her also weeping, he was deeply moved in his spirit and greatly troubled. 
And he said, where have you laid him? They said to him, Lord, come and see. Jesus wept. So the Jews said, how, see how he loved him. But some of them said, could not he who opened the eyes of the blind man also have kept this man from dying? Then Jesus, deeply moved again, came to the tomb. It was a cave, and a stone lay against it. Jesus said, take away the stone. Martha, the sister of the dead man, said to him, Lord, by this time there will be an odor, for he has been dead four days. Jesus said to her, did I not tell you that if you believed, you would see the glory of God? So they took away the stone, and Jesus lifted up his eyes and said, Father, I thank you that you have heard me. I knew that you always hear me, but I said this on account of the people standing around, that they may believe that you sent me. When he had said these things, he cried out with a loud voice, Lazarus, come out. The man who had died came out, his hands and his feet bound with linen strips, and his face wrapped with a cloth. Jesus said to them, unbind him and let him go. Man, what a great, powerful story. And we could probably spend three weeks talk, touching on this story. It's just, it's just so good. It, it's a deep, 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 deep well of really great, great stuff here. But we're going we're gonna to focus on one thread and pull that thread through this passage. The main point we're going to focus on today is Jesus receives glory when we believe in his resurrection power. I'll say it again. Jesus receives glory when we believe in his resurrection power. First, Jesus receives glory when we believe in his resurrection power, even when we don't know how he's going to do it. Do you see the, the, the first paragraph, uh, just the tension and the, the turmoil that's going on on all parties involved, except for one? <laughs> we'll get to that in a minute. But, but first, Martha, Mary, and, and Lazarus, there's tension. There's a problem. Lazarus is dying. He has a sickness, and it's obviously bad enough that they need to call. This isn't like the flu, right? This is like, or the cold, right? This is, this is bad. This is very bad. So they need to call the guy that they think is the most equipped to help them. So they call who? Jesus. Wouldn't you call Jesus if you had his cell phone number, right? If you were really sick, that's the first guy I'm calling. Is, hey, Jesus, can you get over here? I have an illness. I need you to repair that. So notice here, Martha, Mary, and Lazarus, all these people, these three people, are people who are followers of Jesus. Did you guys catch that? That Jesus loved them. So th these aren't random strangers. These aren't somebody like we've, we read in other gospel stories where they just, they, they, they've been following Jesus or they heard about Jesus. These are people who, who, who know Jesus and Jesus knows them. And so they reach out to him in their need. Okay? And then we see, um, we see Jesus uh, actually isn't, doesn't seem like he's in a big hurry. I, the, the text here is so funny, funny, I guess. So it says, so when he heard that Lazarus was ill, so Jesus hears Lazarus is ill, he stayed two days longer in the place where he was. Not what I was expecting, right? And, and uh, yeah, we get used to this story. But do you realize, like, when the first part of that sentence, I would expect it to say, so when he heard that Lazarus was ill, Jesus did what? He got on his horse, and he got over to Lazarus and healed him, right? But the, look at what the text says. So, so or, or he stayed two days longer in the place where he was. Not what you're expecting, especially if Jesus, if Lazarus is someone that Jesus loves, right? When you get a call from a loved one and they're in the hospital, what do you do? You get on your horse or your car, and you go and see them, right? 
Jesus stayed put for two more days, okay? So everybody else, there's, there's needs. Everyone else has needs, but Jesus doesn't seem to be on the same wavelength with even Martha, Mary, and Lazarus, the ones that he loves. But notice too, did you guys see the other part about the disciples? So the disciples, so then Jesus says, two days later, he says, all right, it's time to go see Lazarus, right? And his disciples go, whoa, 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 man, now's not a good time to go see Lazarus because Lazarus lives in uh, the danger zone, okay? Will just read this last week. Don't, don't miss that last par paragraph in chapter 10. Remember, they were about to stone Jesus in, in Jerusalem. And Jesus took his team, his, his party, his group of believers, and he moved to a safe spot. He went to, to where John the Baptist baptized on the other side of the Jordan. This would be a safe spot for Jesus. Why? Because remember in John chapter 1, John the Baptist, he was handing his, his people over to Jesus. He said, hey, guys, don't follow me. Go follow that guy. Okay, that guy is the Christ. And so Jesus in his camp moved to a spot where they're safe, where they're away from the, from the, the leaders, the, the Pharisees and the Sadducees and the priests. They moved to a safe spot away from Jerusalem. But in order to go and help Lazarus, in order to go and help Martha and Mary, Jesus and his team have to enter back into the danger zone. Did you see that in the text? It's about two miles away from Jerusalem. Okay, so it's very close. He's going to get very close to the danger zone. And his disciples just plainly tell Jesus, we can't go back there. They wanted to kill you a couple, you know, uh, just, just the last time we were there. What do you think they're going to do here? So, so notice when Jesus says, no, we're going to go. What does Thomas say at the end? He said, let's go with them and let's die. Thomas, right? Isn't that great? We remember what Thomas, like doubting Thomas. But here, it's so reminiscent, right? These guys are like, we're going to go die with him. And then a little bit he's going to doubt. But we can, we can cover that on a different day. So Jesus, so, so this is the tension that's going on. But Jesus, here's what I want to be clear on. Jesus is clear the entire time on what's going to happen in this story. He's very clear on what is going to happen. Check it out. Verse uh, 4. He says, this illness does not lead to death. Maybe you need to just meditate on that because Lazarus did die. So maybe go home and meditate on that. I'm not going to close that loophole for you. You can wrestle through that yourself. So this illness does not lead to death. It is for the glory of God, so that Son of God may be glorified through it. So that's what is going to happen in this story. Number one, what's going to happen? God is going to be glorified. That's what Jesus says. Number two, what's going to happen? The disciples' belief in Jesus will grow. Look at number 15, verse 15. Lazarus has died, and for your sake, I am glad that I was not there, so that you may believe, but let us go. So, so number one, God's going to be glorified. Number two, their faith or their belief, that's the connection there. The, 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 the term belief and faith are, are synonymous. Their faith is going to grow from this story. So we know what's going to happen in the story. But just like in Colombo, we don't know the what. How is he going to do it, Right? They don't know the how is Jesus going to do that. They recognize and they can see the what? God's glory. God will be glorified. Right? Their faith will be strengthened. But they don't know how God is going to do that. Can you relate to that in your life? I sure can. If you can't, for, for, first step, if you don't know what God wants to do in your life, you need to search through the scriptures. That's, that's step number one. You need to ask. You need to have this conversation at your small group. What does God want to do in my life? It's a really important question. It's really important. It's really important to get it right, too. The number of people that get that answer, if you get that answer wrong, you're going to be hurting your whole life, especially as you walk with Jesus, okay? The, the, the tagline there, that, that's where prosperity gospel comes in, right? Because you think the what 
God wants to do in your life is, I don't know, make you rich. It's not, okay? God, what God wants to do is he wants to conform you to the image of Jesus. He wants to make you more like Jesus, okay? You can know that. Scripture tells you that. Here's what you can't know. You can't know how he's going to do it. Oh, come on. That kills me. And if you're honest, I bet you it kills you. I'm so sick and tired of it. Maybe you're like me. I want to level up my faith where I don't have to use it anymore. <laughs> Just to be honest with you guys. Like, can I, can I have a high enough level where I don't have to like keep working at it? Where like when trials come, I'm just like, oh, I'm good. I got to trust God in the how. You got to, guys, you got to trust God in the how. And then we got to focus on the what. What is God doing? He's making you like Jesus. Here's the hard thing. If he's really making you like Jesus, where did Jesus' life end? On the, oh, come on. On the cross? Are you kidding me? Couldn't be in poolside resort? So if he's making us like Jesus, he's making us ready to do what? To suffer and die for his sake, to, 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 to die to ourselves that we may live for Christ. We don't know the how he's going to do it, and that kills me. So what do we need to do? We need to trust what? God, that he is going to do it. It's a faith issue. So two things. You know, if you don't know what God wants to do in your life, you need to figure that out. And then if you're struggling with the how, guess what? We all do. It's submitting to him, and we'll get to that in a minute. But he's not clear on the how. Number two, secondly, Jesus receives glory when we believe in his resurrection power, even when we think we know better. Did you guys see that? It's, it's, just, it's, it's terribly funny. Um, in, in that, that, did you see how everyone came up to Jesus and told him what, what he should have done? Did you notice that? Martha comes up and she says, did you see the quote? It's so perfect because it, it just repeats further down, right? Lord, if you had been here, my brother would not have died, right? And then what does Mary say? The exact same thing, right? Lord, if you, further down, just, just, just look down. Lord, if you had been here, my brother would not have died, right? Who's, like, okay, pause. They're like blaming Jesus for this problem, right? Like, you blew it, man. <laughs> Like, you're supposed to be the healer. Where were you when we needed healing? Right? Right? They're upset at what, that, that what Jesus should have done. But, but God receives glory when we recognize and we believe in his resurrection power, even when we think we know better. Does anyone here think they know? Ever find yourself in a spot where you think you know better than God? Yeah, yeah, if you're not, you're just a liar. So anyway, so that's a different problem, right? No, we, we, oh man, I just so, I so in life, like do you guys see it where like you have a situation, you have a struggle and you can just see perfectly how you can thread the needle and everything's great and it like never happens that way. You're like, God, you should have consulted me on how to solve these problems, right? And, and, and we constantly come to God and, and I'm constantly kind of being like, God, what, this is what you should do. And when we do this, friends, I'm sorry to, to, to be blunt, that's just straight arrogance. It's arrogance to come to the God of the universe and tell him what he should do. Here's the other thing. Here's the other thing that I just want to caution you about. When you come to God and you tell, your, you tell God, this is what you should do, God, what you don't know is how that will impact the people around you. How many times do I think, oh, God should do this, this, and this? And you know who I'm thinking about? Only me. 
And you know what? When I force my way through and I go, this is how it should be done, and I jam my way through, you know what I do? I turn around and I look back on my life and what have I done? There's just disaster from all the people I just mowed over to get what I want. Because this is what God should have done. Friends, let me encourage you. When you find yourself in that spirit, God, this is what you should do. Here's what you need to do. You need to repent. You need to ask for forgiveness. And you need to humble yourself. You need to ask God. You need to recognize and say, God, in my limited scope, this is how I see you should solve this problem. But I'm going to humbly come before you and lay it at your feet and ask you to solve my problems the way you see fit. And when it doesn't go my way, guess what I'm going to do? I'm going to trust that you know better. Martha and Mary, (laughs) I mean, I get it, right? Their brother just died. They're struggling with trusting that Jesus knows better. He should have done something. Friends, we'll get to it in a second. He's the God of the universe. Let's not tell him what he should and shouldn't do. Is there a spot? Is there a spot in your life you need to confess that you are arrogantly telling God what he should do right now? Confess it, hand it over to him, and choose to trust that he, just like our other passages, that's why I've got to read scripture, that he is the good shepherd and he's leading us through even the valley of the shadow of death. Thirdly, Jesus receives glory when we believe in his resurrection power, even when the timing does not make sense. Let's reread 23 through 27. It's just the crux of the passage. Um, so good, so good. Um, so when Martha heard that Jesus was coming, she, sent, uh, she went and met him. But Mary remained seated in the house. Martha said to Jesus, Lord, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. But even now I know that whatever you ask from God, God will give you. Jesus said to her, your brother will rise again. Martha said to him, I know he will rise again in the resurrection on the last day. And Jesus said to her, I am the resurrection and the life. Whoever believes in me, though he die, yet shall he live. And everyone who lives and believes in me shall never die. Do you believe this? She said to him, yes, Lord. I believe that you are the Christ, the Son of God who is coming into the world. Notice here, Lazarus is dead. Jesus, you know, comforts her. Hey, he's going to rise again. And she says, yeah, I, I believe he'll rise again in, some, in, in the future, at the future resurrection. And Jesus is like, skirt, <laughs> time out. You think the resurrection is some date on a calendar. The resurrection is a person. The resurrection is the king. He's the one who has the power over life and death, right? And so he says to Martha, he says, do you believe this? Don't miss this. Look, look, look what she does. If, if this were me, like, you know, I'm a test taker. I don't know if anybody, some people hate me because I'm like, you know, I just, I like tests. I like them. But anyways, so I'm, it's all about getting the right answer. And for me, Martha blew it. She answered incorrectly. Or actually, she's probably right and I'm an idiot. So look at what she says. He says, do you believe this? Because he said, I am the resurrection and the life. Do you believe this? She says this. She said to him, yes, Lord, I believe what? I think the answer should be, I believe you are the 
resurrection and the life, right? That's not the correct answer. What is the answer she says? I believe you are the Christ, the Messiah, the anointed one from God. And then she says what? The son of God who has come into this world. I believe you are the God from heaven. You are his son who stepped down onto earth and who is the king of the universe that all things were created through you. I believe you are who you say you are about life. He is the king of the universe. And kings, when they're in their kingdom, who's in charge? The king. Okay? If you and I step into a king's kingdom, who's in charge? That king. He is the king of life. Our Messiah, Jesus, this man standing before Martha, is the king of the universe. He holds life in his hands. He can choose when to put down his life, and he can choose when to take it up. That's who is in front of Martha. And so as she's struggling, as she's, oh man, my brother is dead, she comes face to face with the one who is in charge of life. The one who is the king over life. Do you recognize that? Do you realize that Jesus, that Jesus we're talking about, he's not just, oh man, he's a really good dude. He's not just a really good dude. He's so much more. He's the the ruler of life. All things were created through him. Genesis 1, he, 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 and in John 1, think about John 1, how we started. In the beginning is the word. He is the word. That's what John was saying. All things were created through him. And now Martha is confronted with him on death on one side, and she's standing in front of the king of life. And the question is what? Do you, what? Does she what? Does she believe? Does she believe that he is the king of the universe? The timing, I think linear. You think linear. Why? Because we've spent our whole lives what? Thinking about time, living in time, right? When we were a kid, we spent our whole time doing what? Wanting to get older. When we got older, we want to, when we get way older, right? We want to spend our whole time doing what? Trying to get back to being young, right? I guess, supposedly, right? Right now, I just got, man, I just want to sleep through the night, right? Because I have little kids, <laughs> right? We, 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 we live our lives in time, right? But now she comes to face-to-face with the king of the universe who doesn't operate on time. His timing isn't the same as ours. Brutal, right? Brutal for me. Because I live so linear, I'm thinking constantly about time. But yet Jesus here, he has the opportunity. She says, yeah, I know one day he'll he'll be resurrected. He goes, that's not not a day. It's a person. And we have an opportunity to, to worship the one who's in charge of life, to worship the one who has authority over life and death. That is the king that she's coming in contact with. Do you struggle with your life when it doesn't seem like time is, is making sense? Do you find yourself at times kind of going to God, hey, we're running out of time, putting a timeline on him, a time schedule on him, as if, <laughs> once again, maybe this is the theme of, it's what arrogance, right? Do, do you struggle kind of being like, man, we're, oh, I got anxiety because it's like we're running out of time. I need God to do this. 
failing to recognize that he is the king of the universe. Once again, he's the authority. He is the king when we enter into his kingdom, and his kingdom is life. What do we do when we find ourselves in that situation? What do you do when you struggle with God's timing? Let me give an encouragement to you. You know what, I've, what we've really tried to do, my wife and I, when we're struggling with God's timing, we're not good at this. This isn't like, a, oh, wow, they're so great. This is like brutally painful, <laughs> humbling moment for Seth. We sit and we try to just pray and confess and say, God, I'm, I do not understand your timing. Once again, I want to hand over the timing of situations to you. The timing of life and death of loved ones, the timing of financial struggles, the timing of sickness, the timing of work woes, whatever your timing issues are, humbly submit them to the king and recognize that he just doesn't operate on the same time scale as us. Going back, remember, this was an emergency. Jesus needed to get on his horse and get there in time. And he did what? He waited what? Two days. Right? He just, you know, and we can beat against God and we can ask God, God, you should change. Or we can just go recognize going, no, why should he change? He's the king of time. He can do whatever he wants. Fourthly, Jesus receives glory when we believe in his resurrection power, even when our emotions run strong. Did you guys see all the ooey-gooey feelings? I know um, John eleven thirty five 35 is the memory verse that we can all get, right? We can get it right now, today. John eleven thirty five. 35, Jesus wept. You got it, right? Like if you can remember two words and one verse, you got, we got a memory verse done today. So we can, you can show off to your kids at, at kids' church that you memorized a verse in, in uh, adult church. So we see that, but do you see all the other ooey-gooey, um, ooey-gooey words in here? There's a lot of emotion here. Check it out. Notice Mary, Martha, verse 5, it uh, says that Jesus loves them, right? 30, 33, he's moved by um, what he sees, by the weeping. Um, in 35, obviously our memory verse, he weeps. Um, Jesus is moved again in verse 38. There's so much, he's deeply moved. There's so much emotion going on here. And notice, who is the one having the emotions? It is who? It's Jesus, right? Now, yes, are the other people, are the women weeping? Yes, are the, are the crowds weeping? Yes, but notice what the text is constantly pointing out. Jesus is entering into those emotions. He is emoting with the people in, in this story. Okay? He is, when he sees Mary weeping, he is weeping. He loves these people. Don't lose track of that just because you may have grown up with John 3.16 your whole life. The, the truth that we have a God, that we serve a king, because remember the last part we just talked about, that he's the king of the universe, that he rules life and death. But then the, the, the next piece to say that, that he cares enough to weep with these people, he is not hiding his emotion. He's not running from his emotion. He is coming in and, and being with these people. That's why the author of Hebrews wants us, it's, it's very important that the king, that Jesus came and he experienced what it meant to be a human. He experienced the emotions that it meant to be a human. He is not a stoic savior. He is a compassionate, loving, kind Savior who knows what it's like to be human and knows what it's like to lose a friend. And he weeps over it. 
Two a good question for you. One, do you know what moves God? Have you searched the scriptures? Do you know this book is filled with times and stories where God is moved emotionally? And I want to tell you, you may go, yeah, it, it, the primary emotion is not anger from God. It's not. It does happen. That's good because sometimes anger moves me too. Anger does happen, but there's other emotions in here. And here we see him just weeping for these people. Do you know what moves God? Maybe a challenge. If you haven't read it recently, go back and read the story of Noah's Ark. Look what emotion you see from God, and, and you may be surprised. What moves God to that action? Our God is a God who is moved, and he, he understands our emotions. So number one, do you know what moves God? Number two, do the things that move God move you? If you were there, would you be weeping alongside Jesus? Or would you be biting your lips so you don't cry? And maybe this is a challenge just for a certain gender in the room. Because <laughs> I remember when I was in fourth grade, fourth grade Seth, right? That's probably like here. That's still always tall. Um, but I remember, I remember fourth grade looking up, crying about something seeing all the kids around me, looking at me, and I remember in my heart saying, I will never cry. And that messed me up for like 25 years. <laughs> that was a very poor decision. Because I thought something about manliness was something about not showing emotion. Notice here the man who is weeping, Jesus, the one who is weeping, in chapter 19 is the one who's going to be hanging on a cross for our sake. He's not weak. He's, he's compassionate. He sees these women. He sees these people mourning, and he steps into the mourning with them. That's who our God is. My challenge to you, if, if you're one of those guys like, like me, I'm still, I'm still one of those guys that struggles with my emotions, with just letting it out. Don't think that's godliness. It's not. It's pride and arrogance. It's sin. Jesus wept with these women, wept over his friend dying. And the irony is he wept even though he was going to bring him back from the dead. He could have just been like, oh, don't cry, I'll fix it. What compassion. Man, if you're a dad here and your kids are weeping, do you have compassion for your kids? Or do you think they need to, do they need to see more macho man? No. They need to see more of Jesus. Goodness. Lastly, Jesus receives glory when we believe in his resurrection power, even when it seems impossible. Did you guys catch all the impossible situations at the, the, the last paragraph? Let me, let me read that paragraph because it's so much fun at the end here. Starting in verse 38, then Jesus deeply moved. There's that emotional Jesus again. Jesus deeply moved again, came to the tomb. It was a cave and a stone lay against it. Uh-huh, wink, wink. You know, you guys ever heard of another story with a cave and a stone laying on? Anyways, Jesus says, take away the stone. Martha, the sister of the dead man, said to him, Lord, by this time there will be an odor, for he has been dead four days. Jesus said to her, did I not tell you that if you believed, you would see the glory of God? 
So they took away the stone, and Jesus lifted up his eyes and said, Father, I thank you that you have heard me. I knew that you always hear me, but I said this on the account of the people standing around, that they may believe that you sent me. When he had said these things, he cried out with a loud voice, Lazarus, come out! The man who had died came out, his hands and feet bound with linen strips, and his face wrapped with a cloth. Jesus said to them, unbind him and let him go. You guys see the impossible that, that Martha had? I don't know if you agree with this, but I always laugh um, knowing that, um, you know, this is a, a long time ago. So if you've ever been to a third world country, you, you probably walk around and you kind of, there's different smells, you know, and um, they have smells and uh, you, you, I tend to be more sensitive when I'm in those pots and I'm like, boy, how do you live like this? But they don't smell it, right? So I, the reason why I bring this up is think about Martha. She's living in that kind of, that kind of, area, that kind of time period, and she thinks it's going to smell bad when they open the tomb. So what does that mean? It's going to smell really bad. Like when my three-year-old, he has a stinky, you know, and he's like, this smells bad. You're like, yeah, that's really bad because you usually just walk around with that thing in there, right? So it's going to smell really bad is her fear, right? Because he's been in the tomb four days. She would know. She knows about bad smells, right? So that's one thing that's impossible. The odor is going to be there. The next thing, it's, it's been four days, Okay, it's been four days. I, I got to do it. You know, this, you know the movie The Princess Bride? Anybody seen it? You know, when Wesley's been dead, mostly dead all day, right? This is not a mostly dead situation. He's been dead for four days. I mean, he is, he's gone. This isn't like, you remember that story where Jesus heals that girl and she's still in the bed and she had died, but he heals it? That's where it's like, oh yeah, it's been a little bit. Maybe he resuscitated. No, this is not resuscitation, right? This is, he's in the tomb and he's going to be brought back from the dead. So those are very impossible situations. Furthermore, we already pointed out, Jesus is surrounded by who? Strangers? No, he's surrounded by who? Followers. So even the followers are saying what? These are people who have witnessed his miracles and they think this is far beyond his scope of miracle ability, right? This is like a super miracle, right? To, to, to raise somebody who's been dead for four days, They've seen him do some crazy stuff, but to them, this seems just to the moon, you know? And yet he's like, what? He tells her, look at what he says to Martha. If you believe, you will see the glory of God. Here's another Easter egg you can maybe think about, meditate on. Who did he say in the story that, that if they believed, they would see the glory of God? Maybe just meditate on that. But remember, he, he hearkens back to the, the, the conversation he had with Martha before when he said, I am the resurrection and life. And do you remember when he said, do you believe? What was her answer? Yes, I believe that you are the Christ, the King, the Messiah, right? And so he says to her, hey, do you believe? And if you believe in what we talked about, if you believe that you are, that I am the Christ, that I have kingship and lordship, that I have authority over life and death. If you believe that, you will do what? You'll open this tomb up. You will open this tomb and you will see the glory of God. This seems impossible. And we all know the story. They open the tomb and Lazarus comes walking out and he looks like a mummy, right? And I think the text is one making a total wink at us. For one, we got a tomb with a stone over it, and now Lazarus is walking out and he's covered in linens. Then next time we see a tomb with a stone on it and it gets rolled away, the guy coming out covered in linens, pulling him out, is that how he is? No way, he's what? He's bright and shiny and superhuman, right? He's resurrected. So the text is winking at you. Hey, you, man, that Lazarus story was cool, but guess what's way cooler? 
when the Messiah does it, when the Christ does it. Seems impossible, doesn't it? And I know it's easy for us to just be like, God will resurrect people in your life. Like, let's be honest. No, I mean, Lazarus is like the dude. He's the only dude that experienced this, like in a literal sense of bringing, coming back from the dead after four days. So you can't preach this sermon by being like, this could happen in your life. It, no, I mean, look at all, like, think about it. Think about human history. Lazarus eventually died. So what is the whole point? The point is that Jesus can do this stuff. He can. He can do the impossible. And, and I just want to ask you, challenge you, friend, do you remember the impossible things that Jesus has done in your life? Do you have a way to remember that? Consistently in Scripture, um, God calls his people to remember what he has done. Do you have tools or systems in your life that help you as a person or as a family help you remember the miracles God has done, the impossible things he has done in your life? One of my, one of my mentors when I was getting married encouraged us to get a jar with little note cards that we could write the, the miracles that we see God do. And um, it should, we should be on like jar 70, but we are not. We, 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 we kinda, it it kind of comes up at times and then it kind of falls away at times. But I'm reminded of like when we pour it out, the, the number that are in there that I totally have forgotten. And especially now that I have kids that can read, they read them. That when, last time we did it, they read them. And they're like, when is this? And it's like, oh, yeah, I totally forgot about when, we, when our you know, oven broke in the middle of winter and miraculously a $500 check came in the mail that same day. Like, I totally forgot about that. <laughs> that was a miracle because I was not making a lot of money at that time. And we really needed a range, Right. And, and, and it just, it was a reminder of like, man, I just so quickly forget about what Jesus has done for me. Do you remember the things that Jesus has done? And a challenge for you, one, do you have a system Remember, Number two, go tell somebody. Tell your family, tell a loved one, tell a coworker. You want an opportunity to witness? Tell them about a cool thing God did in your life, a miracle he's done in your life. Share it at small group this week. Share things that God has done in order to bring him glory. Most of the miracles God does, usually I'm like the, like, I'm not, I'm like barely struggling, like, help me, please, like the cat, you know, on the, on the, uh, what do you call it, calendar? Help. Save me. And guess what? God does what? He's the miracle worker. He, he saves us. He rescues us. Do you, do you remember that? Man, at the beginning of this passage, Jesus told us what he was going to do. God was going to receive glory and their faith was going to be increased. That's the what that God wants to do in our lives. The how is a different story. We got to wrestle through that. We need to remember what God is doing and trust him in the how. In this story, in John chapter 11, the how God did, how Jesus did this, don't, don't miss this. In John 11, how God brought glory to himself was by bringing Lazarus back from the dead. In John chapter 19, the how God is going to bring himself glory is by crucifying his son. And then in Acts chapter 8, you know how he's going to bring glory? By Stephen getting stoned to death. It doesn't always work out like the Lazarus thing. But we do get to see God's glory revealed. And we can trust that that's what he's going to do. And the question is, are we willing to walk with him through the how? Pray with me. 
Father, thank you for sending your son. Thank you for... Thank you for how you carry us along. Lord, I confess in my flesh I try to do it all on my own. I confess that I want, I have a desire to to be free from you, to not be dependent on you. I confess that and ask for you to forgive me. I confess that we as people too often forget the good things, the miracles that you've done in our lives. I pray that you'd help us to be men and women who remember what you've done and then proclaim it, Lord. Father, thank you for your son. Thank you for Jesus coming, stepping down from your throne in heaven where you rightfully rule and you had the right to stay there and yet coming down and entering into humanity, weeping alongside us, Thank you, Jesus, for for being humble, for loving us so much. Thank you, Jesus, for being the king of the universe, for being the king over life and death. I thank you for raising Lazarus back from the dead. I pray that we would be people that recognize what you're doing. I pray that we'd be people that encourage each other, encourage one another when we're struggling with trusting in the how you're going to do things. Help us to be people that that turn to you. Help us to be people that point each other to you and to trust that you are a good God who loves us, who cares for us, and who's in control of the how. We thank you, Jesus. Amen.